If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1 in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at uh, this book, continuing our new series, He Is, um, which you can see on the screen there. Uh, This is a letter that Paul, um, one of the most famous Christians that's ever lived, wrote to a church. Um, And it was a real letter that Paul wrote in history about 2,000 years ago. So a real letter from a real man to a real people, all experiencing real problems and dealing with real life, just like we do. Um, So this is his letter to them to try and help them out. Paul's always looking to help people out. And, And essentially, the approach that he takes is, if we can get the foundation of you understanding who Jesus is correct, then from there all of your other problems will get better. And last week we started the series in verse 15 of Colossians 1, um, where we learned that Jesus is the image of God, which basically means Jesus is God, and all of his power and all of his supremacy. And this week we'll be looking at verse 16, which very much builds on that as we start to look at what Jesus actually does with all of the power he has. So verse 16 in Colossians 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So last week, he is the image. This week, he is the creator. You know how in life, some things are just good. I don't know what your things are, Uh, maybe lighting up the hot coals on a hot summer day, Um, maybe in Britain just having a hot summer day is good enough for us, maybe uh, going for a nice walk and seeing an expansive view stretching out before you. We went to, me and my wife and my son Jackson, we went to Gedling Country Park yesterday, have you been? The view of Nottingham in Gedling Country Park recommend, (laughs) it is something else, it is a lovely, lovely place. Maybe for you, I don't know, having a nice beer in a traditional British pub is a good thing. Um, Winning the World Cup, the Football World Cup, presumably, would be a good thing. Uh, Was anybody here alive and remember when when England won the World Cup? Yeah, we got a few. Was it a good thing? Yeah, hallelujah. Look forward to that day. Um, Although, quite a step from losing to Iceland to winning the World Cup. In faith, we'll get there. Now, we experience good things in life because Jesus created all things. By him, all things were created. And he created and made creation to be good. We read it if, when we sort of look at how Jesus went about doing what it says here, creating all things. In Genesis, we read that Jesus makes lots of things, and they are good. He makes space, and it is good. He makes stars, and they are good. He builds some mountains, and they are good. And some hills, and they are good. And the seas, and they are good. And starts making some animals, a lion, it's good. Otter, good. A platypus, I don't know what happened there. (laughs) Still good. And as he is doing this process of forming and filling everything that he is doing and creating, Jesus is he's happy. He's pleased with what he's seeing. It's good. But, you know, he's not quite satisfied. He's not quite achieved what he set out to achieve yet. Until we get to verse 26. 
where it says in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And just like everything else, as it says in this verse, by him all things were created. So just like everything else, as man enters into creation, we, as man, were made by Jesus. But unlike anything else in creation, we were made, we were the only ones that were made like God. And when man enters into creation, as Jesus formed man, suddenly creation gets an upgrade from good to very good. We are very good. Amen, Margaret. Yes, we are very good. <laughs> Margaret especially. But we are. This is what the Bible says about us. As soon as man, us, each and every one of us, entered into creation, creation suddenly goes from being good to everything that Jesus wanted it to be. It was very good. Only then was his creation complete. The missing piece was added. We were the jewel in the crown. We are his masterpiece. You know, when Jesus thought, I want to make something that looks more like myself, the perfect God, as we learned last week, that looks more like me than anything else that I've made, more breathtaking than the mountains that he made, more stunning than the waterfalls, more intricate and more complex than the Milky Way, more perfect even than the angels. He made us. He made you. You just think God, in all of his wisdom, in all of his creativity, in all of his intelligence, and in his majesty, and his power, and his genius, in all of who he is, the very closest thing that he could make to himself was us. We are as close as it gets to him, the absolute pinnacle of all of his creation. And at the end of the verse that we read in Colossians, all things were created through him and for him. Here we learn his motivation behind his great creation project. We learn that everything was created for him to enjoy, and that we, as the pinnacle of his creation, were made for him to enjoy. He made us as a gift for himself. You know, I'm going to give myself a gift. And so he made us. We are a gift. Turn to someone near you and tell them they are a gift. Very good audience participation. We're not used to that at Grace Church, but that was a very good start. He just thought, I want to treat myself, and so I'm going to make people so that I can just love them, so that he made us so that he could just love us and, and give himself to us. He made us not only so that we could receive his love, but that we could, so we could enjoy his love and shower his love all over us and just allow us to enjoy everything he has for us. I suppose the, the very closest thing that we would have to be able to compare it to is 
having a baby. You have two people, and they have a baby, and it looks a little bit like them. And so, and then they just devote all of their love and their life to this baby. And just in the same way, he made us to look exactly like him, just so he could love and love and love and love us. But it's a very pale comparison, that, because the love of God is just unlike any other love we could experience. The love of God is a love that just flows down into every single part of who we are, all of our body, all of our mind, all of our emotion. The pure taste of God that was present at creation is a love that just totally defines you. That you receive it and you are just happy and joyful all of the time. You receive it and you just feel totally and utterly accepted, just as you are, and totally fulfilled. No feeling of, oh, I need to look elsewhere for love. No, no, all of your needs are just totally met in a moment when you experience the pure, perfect love of God that he made us to experience. And the love is like just totally as you are. You do not have to change. You don't have to do anything to receive it. It's not do the dishes first, then get the love kind of thing. It's just you receive this love. That is the love of God that he made us. And that just leads to a place of immense security in who you are. And so every single one of us, if you're here today and you're human, we had a dog last week, so I just wanted to clarify if you are human, you have been created by him and for him to experience this love. That is why he made you. So that you could just spend all of your days enjoying the love of God. And that that would be your existence. That we would just move through life experiencing and loving and reveling in the love of God for us. That, this is, that would just fill our time. We would just be enjoying God and his love. But that, our life tells us that that is not the full story, right? That is not what life looks like for us. You may know what happened shortly after the creation account, where the second human being ever created, Eve, ate the fruit that God told her not to eat, and from that moment, sin then entered into the world. And what happened when sin came into the world is that the image of God that we were created in and that we were carrying was broken. And so no longer did we look perfectly like God. No longer were we carrying this perfect image of God, which meant that he just loved us with his perfect love. And so sin entering into the world, and we as people were not exempt from that sin, or excluded from it, as it entered into our body and broke the image of God, we were cut off from the perfect love of God. And if I was left to just then my own experience of what life looked like, I would then think, well, that's the end of the story. Like, I look around me and I go through life and I think, well, that's just it. Like, I have been cut off from the love of God. I don't experience that anymore. Creation sounded great. I wish I was then, but I'm not. Sin's come in. That's now my existence. Just left to my own devices just to muddle through life. That would, be my, that would be the conclusion I'd come to if I just was left to think about my own life experience. Thankfully, though, I'm not left to my own experience. And when I turn to the Bible, I learn that my story doesn't end there. And in fact, the story is actually just reaching its most dramatic and climactic moment. 
that I'm not left in my sin and not left cut off. But actually, this for him that we find, that all things were created for him, is so much more than just he wanted to enjoy us, but that he was so committed to this, so committed that the people that he has created are going to be for him and not for anybody else. He's saying, I created these people for me. I did not create them for sin. I did not create them so that sin could snatch them away. I've created these people for myself. And so while he is creator, he is not limited to being creator. We had a bathroom leak recently, and the shower was leaking and coming through the ceiling. It was a bit of a nightmare. And so I thought, oh, I need a plumber, um, which... I didn't really know how to find one, so I just did what I did with everything, and just go on Google and just type in plumber, and just close my eyes and just point at the <laughs> massive list of people and just call up some random guy who claims to be a plumber. And this guy turned up, and he came in, and immediately as he came through the door, he said, I've been it before. You've got two bathrooms upstairs, haven't you? I said, yes, I have. And it turns out this random guy, Kay, that I just called up, was the person that before we moved into the house, fitted our two bathrooms in our house. And it's a good job that it was he that turned up, because if I'm being charitable towards this plumber, the original plumbing work that he had done was unconventional. <laughs> and so literally, I don't think any other plumber in the whole world would have known what to do without ripping the whole thing out and starting again. But he knew exactly what to do. He knew where the problem was. He knew what weird thing he'd done, and so he just went in and fixed it. And the point is, if you want someone to come and fix your problem, you call the guy who originally made it in the first place. And Jesus is not simply our creator. This morning, you're getting two for one, because he is our creator and he is our restorer. Jesus, the creator, stepped into his creation that he so lovingly made, that he was so passionate for and so wanted to have for himself, and said, I'm not putting up with sin. I'm not putting up with sin having the final word in this place. He stepped down into his creation, just as was prayed out earlier, the incarnation, Jesus becoming man. He was just the man, the only man for the job. And as he stepped down into the world, he begun and went about his mission of restoring his beautiful creation that had been so tainted back to the original image that he had made. He, rest- he came to restore everything and rid, the, rid this creation, this planet, of the effects of sin so that it would once again be perfect. And if you know Jesus today, if Jesus is, you're in a relationship with him, you know him, you're following him, that is exactly what he is doing in your life. He is restoring you from the effects of sin. This is what it says in the Bible, another one of Paul's letters. And we all are being transformed into his image, there's that word again, image, with ever-increasing glory. And what Paul is saying here is that, you know that image you once had, of me, where you were perfect, and life was perfect, and you could receive my perfect love, and that just delighted you. That image that has now been marred by sin, and that has cut you off from my love, I'm taking you back there. What you thought was lost, I am taking you back to. You thought sin had messed it up, but we're going back to the original image 
I am restoring you to once again be very good. I'm taking you back to be the masterpiece that I always created you to be. And the most amazing thing is this. You think, well, that might help me in the future one day, like when I finally get there. The most amazing thing is this. Because Jesus knows that is exactly where we're going to end up. Because notice, it's not us that is transforming ourselves. We all are being transformed. He is doing the transforming work in us. He's so confident in his own work. He knows he's going to get it done. We are going to end up as his perfect image once more. Because that is our definite future, he chooses to see us like that now, today. That is how he sees us. When Jesus looks on us, he sees us as perfect and in the perfect image that he originally created us to be. To him, the restoration work that he's doing in us, taking us back to how we were created, is something that we genuinely and really and actually have today. And so because we look exactly like we did at creation, he loves us just as he does and did at creation. He loves us in exactly that same way. That same love is available to us right now, today. That love is ours. And so we have it. His perfect life-giving love is ours. The problem is, it's one thing to have it. It is another thing to live like you have it. Because we live in this very weird place where we essentially live in where two things are very much true. Just as I've said, we have been and are fully restored by God. And so we can experience his perfect love. This is the good side. But we are all very aware of our, the presence of sin in our life. This is here. Sorry, guys. Very aware that we still live in a world of sin, and that we are sinful people. Now, these two things are both true about us, but only one of these realities will have a major influence on the story of your life. The good news is, you get to choose which one. You get to choose whether you lived as a, live as a person who is totally loved or if you live as a people, person who is unloved, and everything that that looks like. And it's really easy to live here. This is actually our default. This is the bad news. That if we are passive and we don't make an active decision, this is where we live, as an unloved person. But the really good news is that Jesus has given us a tool, a powerful tool, to move from here and to live over here. And that tool is thanksgiving and being thankful. Have you ever no noticed that we do not live in a culture where thanksgiving is like top of the agenda and being grateful for what you have is like, yes, number one. At the moment, it is uh, the football transfer window, and so this is the time where you can buy and sell players. If you ever want an example of a lot of people who are not satisfied with what they have, <laughs> just look at the, the transfer window. No manager has ever given the press conference of, I am totally satisfied with my squad. I have everything I need. I lack for nothing. 
all of my players are as good as I want them to be. I have no qualms at all. This is, this is just brilliant. I love my team, and I will never want to change it. I have everything I need. And if they have, they would just lie. That is not how they feel. And of course, the whole advertising industry is rigged to say that you do not have everything that you need. Apple do not advertise their new phone by saying, introducing the iPhone 7. You probably don't need it, because your current phone is absolutely fine. <laughs> their message is much closer to, can you believe that you existed this long without a waterproof phone? <laughs> and similarly, I do think that we find it very easy to live a life where we are just not thankful for what we have. Right? We know that we have the love of God. We know we have the perfect love of God, yet often we default to here and we ignore that we have the love of God. And we live like unloved people. And the problem is, and so then when we're in this place, we think, well, we can only then have love if we find it, because we're pretending we don't have it. And the problem is we are hardwired from creation to need love in our life in a big way. That is literally, as I've been saying, how we have been created to be. And so if we think we then have to find love, we start looking for love everywhere. And this is where most of us live most of the time. And so what we do is, we, because again, we're hardwired to want to receive love more than we are to want to give it. And so we put a major strain, that puts a major strain on all of our relationships. So if you're married, that your natural inclination will be, I want to try and be loved more than I want to love my spouse. Same with parenting, same with friendships. And if you're also spending, it, the look for love can also manifest itself in feeling like you have a big relational gap in your life. And what can then happen is because you're so keen to feel that and to know the love of someone else who you think, oh, I, I need that kind of relationship, you can get totally consumed with the search for that and it just dominates your life. But all of us have it as well in the very small things of life. The other day, I met a stranger and I chatted with them for a few minutes, and then we parted company. And I was probably never going to see them again, and I realized after that conversation, I was, I was thinking, I hope that person liked me. And why? <laughs> it makes no difference to me whatsoever. It's not going to have a bearing on my future. But who cares? Well, I did in that moment, because I just want to be loved. All of us, we just want to be loved. And living in this place is just not a satisfactory place because we never find it. But, as I was saying before, God has given us a tool to move out of this place and very much into living as though we have everything we need from God. And that is thankfulness. Thankfulness, of course, takes us out of the place of feeling like we have to search for love and find love. And what it does is it 
moves us into a place of enjoying and getting the most from that which we already have. Because the perfect love of God is already in our life. We don't, the, the days of searching is over. We can just appreciate what we already have. And the process is something like this. Firstly, we have to choose to take our eyes off what we perceive to be true and what we feel. And say, no, I, I choose to believe that those things that I'm looking after and the way that I search for love and the, the relationships that I'm trying to go after are not going to satisfy my need for love. And to say, like, I, I see that all, I see what's going on here, I see what the trick that's been played on me, and I choose not to believe that is not right. That's step number one. Step number two, you then choose to take hold of some truth and say, right, I've got this truth now, and I'm just going to believe it. I choose to believe that I have all of the love from God that I need. And that will fulfill me, and that will satisfy me. I'm just going to choose to believe it. And then the third step, and this is a really important one that I think we often miss out, is we then proclaim it. We've got to speak it out. Because who here knows that there is power in the words that we speak out? There is power in what we proclaim. If we speak things about ourselves, we start to believe them. If we speak negativity about ourselves, we will start to believe negative things about ourselves. But if we speak godly, true things about ourselves, we start to believe and live in those true things. Colossians 4, which is the end of this letter, actually, um, in Paul's closing remarks, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And notice how he doesn't say, just devote yourself to watchfulness and thankfulness. But you could do that in silence. He's saying... Devote yourself to prayer, loud, and in the context of that, be watchful and thankful. So he's saying, be thankful in a loud way. And so that is what we have to do. If we are to truly get hold of this love that we know we have, and we're truly going to experience it and live in the good of it, we simply just have to thank Jesus for the love that he has given us. And it can just be as simple as this. Jesus, I thank you so much for the love you've given me. I know that the love that I might look for elsewhere will not satisfy. I choose to lay that down. And right now, I choose to believe that your love is enough for me. The love that you originally created me for, the love that you then restored me to your original plan, that love is enough for me. I choose you to be my source, and I am just going to take hold of and enjoy what is already mine. Amen. Something along those lines. And what happens when we pray is if the thing that we are praying is true in God, that's crucial, if the thing we're praying is true, then our hearts, our minds, our emotions, they all start to line up and believe those things, and we start to live as though they're true. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we start to see ourselves not through our own eyes and through our own perception and, oh, well, I must look elsewhere for love, but we start to see ourselves through Jesus' eyes. And we start to see ourselves just as he sees us, which is perfect and in the image of God. Now, I don't, know, I don't think we'll ever think we are perfect, but we start to get that, that idea and that knowledge that that is how Jesus sees us, and so that is indeed true, true for us. Thankfulness changes us. 
Thankfulness, as we engage with it and go through the process of continually being thankful, it takes known truth and starts to take, make known truth lived experience. But it has to be a habit and a discipline as well. We have to continue in it. We have to build it into our life. We have to allow ourselves and submit ourselves to it and say, I'm, I'm just going to keep doing this. Even if we're maybe not seeing fruit of it, just continue to persevere. Because if we don't, then what happens is the, the, the questions of sin and the questions of maybe I, I kind of need Jesus' love and maybe that relationship as well, that starts to creep in. But as we continue to engage in thanksgiving and thankfulness, then we start, the default stance that we have in life starts to shift from this place of, I'm not loved, and so I must find it, to, no, I know that I'm loved. I know that I have the love of my creator and my restorer. I know that is already in my life. And I'm going to choose to enjoy it. I'm going to choose to take hold of what is already mine. 